the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Enjoy. Sponsored by the Law Office of Robert Bergman. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. Bob Bergman here, broadcasting from my palatial office here in San Jose in the Cambrian Willow Glen area. Uh, I moved about a month ago. So those of you who have been on for a while may realize uh, that I used to be over by the Westgate Shopping Center in San Jose. And now I'm uh, near to a shopping center that has two of my favorite stores in the world to go to, Target and Home Depot. Target to get stuff for the family, Home Depot to get basically toys for dad. I am a do-it-yourself where I do a lot of things around the house. And I find the depot, now that Orchard Supply is gone, Uh, The Depot is now my uh, next place of choice for those hardware items that I need to fix things around the house. Now, um, I've been doing um, almost a year's worth of shows now, and I know uh, I keep running into more and more people that tell me, oh, yeah, listen to the show every week or just tuned in. I've got people coming in to see me because they, um, they heard the show. And um, and uh, even people from other parts of the country that heard the show and they're coming in and talking with me about how I might be able to assist their family with something. Well, I'm going to return to my normal format for today's show. I don't have a specific topic in mind to talk about. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go around the state of California and pull in some of the topics that people have pushed out there that are of concern to them. And I think I've kind of looked ahead here. I peeked ahead to see what's there. And I think there's going to be some things that may be of concern to you as well. So uh, put your trays in the upright lock position. Make sure your seat belt's fastened. Your back seat back is up. And prepare for takeoff. First one out of San Clemente, California. I'm trustee of a family trust. Just found out my father won a civil lawsuit five years ago, and we just found out about this. Wants to know, can I collect on that lawsuit on behalf of the trust? Well, the short answer is probably so, as long as you can establish that that you as the trustee have the right to pursue that lawsuit. It may be required to actually commence a probate for the purpose of pursuing a judgment, uh, either that or you could probably go to court uh, with a Hegstat petition. Uh, you've heard about Hegstats before if you've been listening for a while. And with that Hegstat petition, 
request that the judgment in that civil lawsuit actually be assigned to the trust so as trustee the person could pursue the judgment. Um, Judgments are generally good for 10 years, and they can generally be renewed for another 10 years as long as you do it. So they're good for up to 20 years here in California. So if it's only been five years, then yes, the judgment could definitely be pursued as long as the person or company that the judgment is against actually has assets you can go after. Now, let's say I skip over that one. Okay, if a rental property is placed into a revocable living trust where the grantor is a father and then the trustee and beneficiary is the son, who would the tenants make out the check for when paying rent? Very short answer for this. The rent checks are made out to the trust and then the son who's acting as the trustee would then negotiate those checks into an account owned by the trust. <clears throat> the Just because the son is a beneficiary, the question is, um, if we're talking about a beneficiary after dad dies, then the son has no right to any of that property personally, but can only handle it on behalf of the trust and his father. So in a case like that, it has to go into an account owned by the trust and then be accounted for by the son as the trustee, accounting regularly to his father for what's happening with that property. Now, here's someone from uh, Yorba Linda who wanted to know, said, uh, my son whose successor trustee in my living trust is trying to take me to court and declare me totally incompetent. I want to stay in my house, which is paid for. Can I take my home out of the trust and change title with a grant deed? Well, you can take your property out of the trust, but that's not going to help you at all if the person, if your son goes to court and has you declared incompetent, then it doesn't matter if in the trust or outside of the trust. What you might want to consider is engaging the services of an attorney who can amend your trust and uh, maybe remove your son as the successor trustee of that trust so the son has no say anymore and probably put in place as a successor trustee um, a professional trustee of some kind, an attorney, an accountant, a licensed individual fiduciary, or maybe a bank or trust company as a way to head off any attempt by the son to have you declared incompetent and then have you removed and take over everything. If you have a professional trustee taking over, if you're determined to be incompetent, as long as you were competent when you made that change and um, basically named the successor trustee with a change to your estate plan, it's not really going to be a chance for the son to take over and actually start running things for you. Okay, now here's someone, Dad created a living trust in which I'm the beneficiary. My understanding is a trust is used to avoid probate. Yes, that's true. One of the main reasons to use a living trust is to avoid the probate process. But you also want to use it to avoid conservatorship process for the property and the trust if you become incapacitated or disabled during your lifetime. Now, this person wanted to know, 
if dad dies, do the beneficiaries automatically get the property mentioned in the trust the moment he dies, or is there a specific waiting period of weeks to months? It's an apartment building. Would I be able to tell the tenants to make the start making the checks out to me because I'm the new owner? And who enforces the trust? Do I have to go to court? Well, let's break those things down. First of all, there's really nothing automatic about property being transferred if it's in a trust. Um, There are bills to be paid. Those have to be taken care of. You have to determine who's actually going to receive the property. Make sure that there aren't alternate people receiving it because maybe someone was named and they have passed away. Um, So you first have to do that. But you can't go to the tenants and say, start making the checks out to me because I'm the beneficiary and I'm the new owner. You're not the new owner of something like real estate or a bank account, for that matter, until your name is put on that real estate or on that account as the owner. Up until then, if it's in a trust, it stays in the trust ownership handled by the trustee of the trust. And all rent checks and everything else need to be paid to the trust until the property is distributed out of the trust. And then at that point, um, at that point, checks could be written directly to the new owners. As for who enforces the trust, well, that's supposed to be the responsibility of the successor trustee. And the successor trustee is supposed to carry out the wishes of the person as they stated in the trust itself. Now, if the successor trustee is not doing their job, then one or more beneficiaries, if necessary, can go to court to either remove the person who's not doing their job or replace them in some way. But in any event, they would have to seek recourse in the courts. So coming up on the break, after the break, we'll continue with more Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, Bob Bergman. to plan your estate radio once again your host estate planning trust and probate law specialist attorney bob bergman hi welcome back i'm going to continue on with more questions and uh, comments and analysis from around the state of california and here's a situation that um, probably actually comes up more frequently than people might realize There's a property in Irvine, California, that's owned in four equal shares between four people. There's a trust that lists all four people as having equal shares to the property, but the deed to the trust does not name the trust as the owner. One person dies. There is a probate that is intestate because that person had no will. So the question is, Does the decedent's share, this is the person who died, that's the decedent, need to be probated or can the representative transfer the property portion to the heirs using the trust document? In other words, administer the trust. Let me unpack this. What's not clear from this question that this person asks is, 
is this a trust that exists now and these four people are named as beneficiaries of the trust as in current beneficiaries of the trust? I mean, are they actually named as having a equal shares in the property that's being held by the trust? If that's the case, this could be a very good case to use a Hegstat petition asserting that the property that is not in the trust name should be in the trust name. That could be done pretty much at any time. It doesn't have to be done right after the creator of the trust died. It could be done if the creator of the trust is still alive. Um, but in a case like this, it looks like there's a possibility that a Hegstat petition could be used to get the property into the trust so that the trustee of the trust could distribute that one-quarter interest to whomever it's going to. Now, here's someone out of Silmar. Said, uh, Mom passed away late October 2017. I'm in charge of her living trust, and I've been told I need to get a tax ID number in the name of the trust, but I don't know where to start. I want to deposit any cash that I get from the sale of property and any other cash she had for distribution based on her wishes. Well, to get a tax ID number, which is a, which is a form SS4 from the IRS, the most direct way is you can actually apply for one online. If you search for apply for SS4 online, it will take you to the IRS website where you can apply uh, through there. I would recommend, though, print out the hard copy first. Fill out the information first before trying to apply online so you're not kind of guessing or scrambling for information. The other thing is it's kind of tricky applying for a tax ID number for a trust after someone's died because it's very easy to put in the wrong information in the online form because it doesn't perfectly line up with the information in the physical form to apply for a tax ID number. So generally, I would recommend don't try to do this on your own. Have an accountant assist you or a well-qualified estate planning attorney such as myself um, who knows how to properly fill out the paperwork so that it, it gets the correct information to the IRS and you don't end up with issues later on. So here's a situation. It says, um, um, Dad had a trust and passed away. His wife opened a separate trust. Uh, Dad's trust will become irrevocable on his death. So how does the wife take from the trust property and sell to other members of her family that are not in Dad's trust? Um, first of all, if everything is left in Dad's trust to his wife directly, so that she actually owns it as opposed to being left in trust for her with some restrictions on use and distribution, then she can decide who it goes to eventually in her own trust. There's nothing stopping her giving it to completely different people than what the father wanted. However, um, if the father left things in trust for his wife with instructions that she can use it for her own care and benefit during her lifetime— and then at her death, it goes on to, say, his own children. That's a whole different situation. And if the wife is acting contrary to that 
and giving away property to her own family members, that's in violation of the trust. And the remainder beneficiaries, the children of the father, could actually take her to court over that and have her removed and maybe even go after having the property returned. That's another possibility. Now here, here in my own town here of San Jose, what are the next steps for a trustee when both parents are now deceased? Uh, it says, I'm the trustee of, of the parents' trust, but my sister's now telling me our father left the house to her. I haven't seen any documentation on this. Uh, what's the process in implementing the will and trust? First of all, with the will, you take and file that will. Uh, here in this case, in the uh, with the probate code of Santa Clara County, you take the will down, you fire that, file that. Next thing is find out how is the house titled. Is it titled in the name of the father's trust? If it's not, is there some kind of evidence that it was intended to be part of the trust? Is there a schedule of assets? Is there an assignment of assets? Is there a pour over will directing it to the trust? The bottom line is, if this person's sister is saying, dad left the house to me, that's got to be in writing somewhere. If there's a trust and it's owned by the trust, there's going to be an amendment to the trust. There has to be some kind of writing signed by dad saying, you get the house. I suspect that's not the case. And and I suspect that, uh, I suspect that uh, as trustee taking over, he would just handle what the trust says to do, which is probably divided between he and his sister. Now, closely following up on what we just did there, someone want to know how long does an executor have to file a will in probate court? Well, short answer. Within 30 days from the date of death of the person, the law demands that whoever is the custodian of their original will, meaning whoever actually has possession of the original will is to take and file that will with the court where the person resided in the county where they resided, not the county where they died necessarily, but the county where they were a resident. And uh, and that is a legal requirement. It costs $50 to do that. It's called lodging with the court. And if the person who's the custodian fails to file, they could be held liable for any damages suffered by any heir or beneficiary of the estate who's damaged because of the failure to file that will with the court. So it's kind of a serious matter. It's something that you don't treat casually. So if you actually have that will, you want to make sure that you get that filed with the court within 30 days so it's not your responsibility anymore. So we're coming up on the mid-show break right now. And uh, after the break... I'm going to be talking some more. But in the meantime, I thought I'd give you my number if you want to call in. 800-516-1220. You could also email questions to radio at lawbob.com. Radio at lawbob, L-A-B-O-B dot com. Talk with you after the break. This is attorney Bob Bergman. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. First of all, um, I'll give you the phone number once again, 800-516-1220. 
800-516-1220 if you'd like to call into the show today. You can also email me at radio at lawbob.com if you have uh, any questions you'd like me to try to answer on the air for you. I'm certainly happy to do that. And uh, let's see, moving on here. Give me just one quick moment here. I'm going to try and uh, shut something off on my phone that's making it impossible for anything else to come through my email. Let's see if that takes care of that. Okay. Uh, By the way, I, I realized halfway through the show that I had left my phone ringer on and everything, so I quickly turned that off. It's nothing like having that kind of music going off in the middle of the show to get you off your stride. So here, here's a okay. Here's a situation that probably does come up now and then. Uh, there's an irrevocable trust. Person said, "I'm a trustee of an irrevocable trust. My cousin's the beneficiary. The grantor was grandma." Trust assets have a brokerage account, checking account, and I have the sole discretion to distribute trust income or principal for the welfare of my cousin and college expenses. The trust says, give everything to my cousin when she turns 30. She's 27, college graduate, steadily employed as a professional by a Fortune 500 company. She thinks she's ready, willing, and able to assume responsibility for the trust. The bank has a copy of the trust, and has provided a form for me to execute to transfer ownership of the accounts to the beneficiary, which essentially terminates the trust. Can I execute this form without getting court permission to terminate, or must I first obtain court permission? I'd say the short answer to that question is, you should get court permission to terminate, to terminate with the with you and with the request and consent of the beneficiary. Um, down in Palos Verdes Estates, where this is taking place, probably couldn't actually do that through the court, but it could be done easily through the court up where I'm at if all of the parties agreed to terminate the trust early, and um, and especially if we put in there that the person is a responsible adult is a graduate, steadily employed, and basically is a mature person, can handle their own inheritance now. However, the other thing is, if you think your cousin is going to go along with that, the bank says, hey, sign this and we'll hand it over, then you have to make a judgment. If I do that, am I running a risk that if my cousin blows it all in the next three years, that my cousin will come back and sue me for giving my cousin the money when my cousin wasn't ready for it. That's kind of the downside risk of just signing a form and distributing it out. I would say that if the cousin signs a form and says, yes, um, I'm okay with that, um, then you're probably in a little better shape, but you still have fiduciary obligations under the law to distribute at age 30. So it's kind of... uh, it's kind of a, a judgment call on that one, whether or not uh, doing it without going through the court is advisable. Um, I might advise someone just like I did, which says if you do it, just be aware that you you do have the potential risk of being sued by the beneficiary 
if the beneficiary turns out to not be competent in what they're doing. Okay, let's see. Okay, if I signed a will with my spouse years ago, could I create a new one that overwrites the old one? So I have a will that I did with my spouse. We did it quickly via beep, beep, an online service I won't name. Years ago, it was quick and easy, but we have more assets and kids now. So what happens when we do another will? Does it override the old one? Well, yeah. Typically, when you do a will, one of the things it states or should always state is that I revoke all prior wills, which means that the will that was done before is, in effect, overwritten and doesn't exist anymore. However, if someone has more assets, they really should be seriously looking at having a living trust done and not a will. And I certainly wouldn't recommend they go through the beep-boop online service to have that done. This is something that I think really should have an attorney involved, an estate planning attorney, not a will and trust lawyer who kind of sells trusts on the side as one of a half a dozen things he or she does as a practice. Um, that's a general practitioner and, and not against general practice. I've been a general practitioner myself in the past. But I think for something like estate planning, you want to have a specialist assist you with that. Someone who really knows what's going on and can really do a comprehensive plan for you that's going to be much more than just doing a new will. So that would be my advice there. Number 800-516-1220. If you want to give a call or radio at lawbob.com. If you would like to email a message to me and you'd like me to answer something on the air. Okay, here... Okay, this is an interesting one. My aunt passed away. She owned one side of a duplex and my mom the other. They do not have joint ownership on the deed. Do they still have to go to court or does it go straight to my mom? Okay, Um, so two names are on the deed but not as joint tenants. I think that's what they're asking. Um, No, what would happen is if aunt passed away... Her half of the property is probably owned by the description here as what's called a tenant in common, which means it's subject to being distributed under the laws to whoever her heirs would be. So unless her direct heir is her sister, this person's mother, um, it's going to go to whoever her, her, the aunt's heirs are. It could be her children. It might be her sister, the mother, but it's not going to go straight to mom. It's going to have to go through the court system as a uh, as a probate because nothing was done to avoid the probate process and held in a joint tenancy form. And it wasn't held. The 50 percent interest was not held in a living trust form, which I think would actually be better, provide more flexibility and also provide for. Uh, better protection all the way around. Uh, you want to stay out of probate whenever possible. And owning a property with some other family member just together and not and not in it by way of a trust or by way of joint tenancy is asking for probate to be triggered when that happens. Okay. Let's see. 
All right, I'm going to skip over that one. My mother wants to make a, a will to leave her IRAs, stocks, or cash to my brother and me. However, she does not want those monies to be shared with our spouses through California joint tenancy or or uh, common ownership. Um, so the question is, would a wife be entitled to a husband's inheritance or money from the husband's parents? The answer is no. No, as long as it's kept separate. In a case like this, I might recommend for the IRA considering using a retirement plan trust in order to receive the IRA for the benefit of the child or children so it's completely separate from their marriage. And then for other assets, stocks, cash, real estate, things like that, leaving it in trust for the child as well. So it... So it's completely separate from um, completely, completely separate from the um, the spouse, from the son-in-law or daughter-in-law. Um, I do that type of planning all the time in my practice. I call it castle trust planning because we're trying to build a castle to protect the inheritance. I do planning like that also for people that have substantial retirement plans, building a castle around those as well. And keeping them away from a marriage, away from a relationship, also away from a failed business, a malpractice claim, an auto accident that injured a bunch of people. There's a lot of things we can do from an asset protection standpoint. Now, um, I got a couple minutes left in this segment, and uh, I thought I would let you know about some resources I have available. I've also been informed I have a couple of people on the line. And if you're on the line listening, uh, I'll be getting to you after the next break in the final segment of the show. But I do have some resources besides the live living trust and retirement plan trust seminars that I do in my office. You can visit lawbob.com to find out when those are or eventbrite.com and search for living trust seminar or Retirement Plan Trust Seminar. But you could also go to my YouTube channel, Law Offices of Robert P. Bergman. If you can't come to a live seminar, I have recorded versions of both seminars at my YouTube channel. And I find people like to watch those, and I've had people watch them and book appointments with me because they realized I'm the one that could help them with the family situation. So we're coming up on the third break of the show. Again, 800-516-1220, radio at lawbob.com, if you would like to email me a question. And when we return after the break, I'm going to be taking uh, one or two callers, depending on whether they both stay on the line. So if you're on the line, wait. I'll be getting to you in a few minutes. Until then, this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, and I will be talking with someone on the air after the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Berg. Hi, welcome back. So I, I've been informed by my engineer, Marco, that I have two people on the line. So I'm going to start first with Nancy from my backyard in San Jose. Nancy, are you on the line? Uh, yes, I am. 
Hi, good afternoon. So you're Hi. talking to a lawyer. How can I help you? So earlier in the show, you talked about um, the need to file a will within 30 days of date of death. So I'm wondering if all the assets are titled in the trust and the total value of the trust assets is less than what's required for things to go through probate, is there still the requirement to file that will in the probate court? Okay, well... There, there's two things mixed up in your question. First of all, the amount of assets necessary to file for a probate, uh, anything that's held outside of an individual name and, or not payable to someone's estate is not subject to probate. So if it's in a trust, it's not subject to probate. If there's a beneficiary that's alive on an account or insurance or something, it's not subject to probate. So the, the dollar amount to trigger a probate is $150,000 total value of assets held in someone's name or payable to their estate. The requirement to lodge or file the will with the court is a statutory requirement, and it's technically and legally it's a requirement even if everything's in a living trust and you're never going to probate anything and you're never going to even walk past the probate court anytime. So, so two completely separate things. Okay. All right. Yeah, they, they are separate. They can be interrelated. Um, as I've talked about on the show, if you have a situation where there's a loose piece of property of some kind that wasn't in the trust, should be in the trust, then the will might actually be an important piece of evidence of intent that the property be in the trust and be one of the documents used to help get it into the trust not going through probate, but doing a special type of court petition called a Hegstat. Okay, perfect. So is this your first time listening, or have you been listening for a while? Um, no, I've listened to you on occasion. I just happened to be in the car, and I caught your part of your show. And Great. It, well, it, thank you. Just about a half hour before you had that. So, yeah, I've listened when I catch you on the radio. Great. Well, <laughs> thank you so much for being a, a semi-loyal listener whenever you can. <laughs> Okay, you're welcome. Okay, anything anything else? Not okay, right well, thanks, thanks for calling. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, and then we have another caller. I see uh, Bill from Hayward. Bill, are you on the line? Uh, yes, I am. Thanks for taking my call. Okay, well, uh, like I said before, you're talking to a lawyer. What can I help you with? Uh, the, the situation is my elderly mother-in-law passed away late last year. And there was a series of medical issues and and bills that are just starting to come to light now. And if these eventually uh, the bills exceed what the trust is worth, who's liable for these bills uh, now that she's passed on? Well, it's it's an interesting question because as a general rule, if there's not enough estate to cover the debts of the estate, then basically there's just nothing left over. If if you're talking about um, if you're talking about a um, a parent and a child, there's technically a law that that makes children responsible for the care of their uh, parents uh, and financially responsible for their care. But I don't believe that that is goes on and is attributed to any uh, any debts incurred for medical expenses, things like that. 
the likelihood is that if it does exceed the amount of assets that are left, then pretty much there's not going to be anything left to distribute to anybody. Uh, if if there's debts there, and uh, I would say in a situation like that, it might be a good idea to see if a negotiation could be done with the um, the holders of the medical bills, see if they'd be willing to discount them, uh, maybe accept part of it rather than full payment, with the explanation that there's just not enough there to pay everything. So um, I think ne- negotiation will be good in a situation like that. A- otherwise, uh, there's nobody really that has responsibility to pay the the unpaid amount. Uh, anyone inheriting or receiving property is responsible for that property being available or accessible to any creditors of the estate. Um, sometimes people don't realize, you know, well, I got this bank account. I was the pay-on-death beneficiary. Well, if the person that left it to you owed money and there's not enough there, the creditor can come after you because you actually got money that was subject to their claim as a creditor before you get it. So it, it uh, I haven't really seen that happen. But uh, I think probably negotiating at this point would make the most sense. And did that uh, help or answer that for you? It 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 does um, now. Meaning, but if if there happens to be enough in the estate, then then the the, the trustees, it's their duty to pay those type of debts. Yeah, but I'd still try to negotiate it down. Okay. As the trustee, okay, we'll I'd yeah, see, you know, okay, so much. will you take 50 cents on the dollar or something like that? Okay, sure. so we're, uh, show's almost done here. Thanks for calling, Bill. i got to go now because we're about to hit the hard break at the top of the hour. Uh, so uh, thank you for joining us today for Plan Your Estate Radio. Uh, thank you, Nancy and Bill, for calling in. It's always great to have people call in for the show. So until next week, this is attorney Bob Bergman, Plan Your Estate Radio. And you take care out there. I think we're getting a little rain right now. So drive safely on those roads. And until next week, this is Bob Bergman signing off. Goodbye. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com, or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.